Welcome to Radio Survivor. This is the Sound of Strong Communities. I'm Paul Reismandel. Hi, Paul. My name is Eric Klein. It's nice to be here podcasting with you today. I'm so glad you're here today. We missed you last week. I think uh, Jennifer and I had a fun show uh, talking about two of her tours, one college radio station, one low-power FM station, and then going over what's going on with CMJ. Oh, CMJ. So people can go back and listen to 80, uh, our Radio Survivor number 82. Just go to uh, radiosurvivor.com, but you probably know that since you're listening to this show. <laughs> Having worked at a radio station that was struggling to make its budget and keep its staff uh, around, there's my heart just goes out to whatever the people at CMJ are feeling. Well, there's, I mean, uh, so allegedly there was only really one of them left. Yeah. Literally, which is sad, which yes. is really sad. Um, but turn, turn off the lights when you leave. So, but, uh, you know, really folks should uh, read uh, Jennifer's reporting yeah. um, at uh, radiosurvivor.com and listen to last week's show. But we missed you because they were, they were real, two really cool tours. So if, if you haven't listened to number 82, we, we visited, uh, well, we did not. Jennifer visited a college station at the University of, of the Ozarks, a tiny private college that has one of the first low-power FM stations. Hmm. So they've had it for since the early 2000s. There's a lot going on in the Ozarks. And it's a really cool station. And the kids that she talked to were wonderful. They were – they were, and so we, we have a few little clips of them talking and uh, they were just great. Yeah, and, I heard and a then, little of that. And then she uh, visited another station in Fayetteville, Arkansas – which is housed in a hotel hmm. in the, in like the town square and is like explicitly a project of like this peace and justice organization. So that was to me really fascinating to learn about. Um, so yeah, it was a really fun show. I think you would have liked, you'd have had a lot of questions, <laughs> but uh, this week I think we have news to cover. Um, there's a bunch of stuff that's gone on. That I think is of relevance to uh, to the Radio Survivor listener. Would you say Survivor that we're reader. tying up loose threads, or are we not? Are they not explicitly metaphorical knots? These are things that we've been covering. Uh, oh, absolutely. Week yeah. week upon week here. At we Radio try to Survivor. be a little longitudinal, but not not bore people with <laughs> like the update from Washington every week. I, we try. I try myself to look for the things that are. Uh, inflection points, if you will. Sure. Moments Ch- changes. That, changes that make a difference. And I also, you know, we like to also give people some heads up to know when a change might be occurring since uh, at least nominally this is still a republic and uh, <laughs> people are still involved in, uh, in are able to comment to not just their uh, representatives to Congress, uh, at least some of them, I guess, if they're from the right political party, I understand. <laughs> Or you can also, of course, comment to the FCC. Right. Uh, so when there are things in front of the FCC, we want people to know about it and, you've and got, have an you've opportunity got to comment. Two updates from the FCC, right? Yeah. So we'll be talking about um, one ruling that just happened. So uh, we're recording today on the twenty fourth of February. This uh, ruling was made yesterday, the twenty third of February, which which affects low power FM actually, even though. Um, officially it's about AM radio, um, a little bit about, uh, your smartphone. And then I want to talk a little bit about podcasts. It's not really news in that case, but, uh, there's some, some, uh, uh, things came up and some discussions I've had. And and it's sort of this part of this ongoing discussion you and I've had about, about podcasting and how to think about it, especially in a communitarian sort of way. I'm looking forward to that podcasting discussion. Once we get this FCC stuff out of the way, which is also... Yeah. Tell, tell me more. You want to start with the, the yeah. AM radio stuff? So this is part of a uh, proceeding on the revitalization of the AM dial, right? <laughs> I, I I saw uh, scare quotes over revitalization when you said it out loud. Well, now. because a lot of the revitalization of the AM dial really constitutes giving AM broadcasters FM stations, right? So it isn't really revitalizing AM so much as it is to some extent throwing a little bit of a life preserver to some AM stations and um, I think heaving over a bunch of money effectively to uh, big uh, broadcasters. And why say it's throwing a lifeline to some AM stations is that there still are a lot of AM stations out there, comparatively speaking, that are 
uh, locally owned or small or part of small companies. And AM radio has been having a hard time, I mean, for a long time uh, in terms of, of, of making money. Uh, AM and, is more rural than urban. Is that a fair statement? To no, make I don't think says? so. Um, I think it's easier to listen. It's to. easier to listen to. Right. So AM radio uh, deals with uh, topography better because it's not necessarily fully line of sight um, at night. I think most of our, our listeners know it bounces off the ionosphere. So you can listen to stations that are powerful from hundreds of miles away. So in many rural areas, their best service may actually come from AM radio. So it's still, it's still usually associated with a large city somewhere. I mean, I don't know that it's, I mean, there's stations everywhere. I don't know that we sure. would say it's urban or rural. The problem with rural FM radio is that if you get out to places in Eastern Oregon, Eastern Washington, Montana, uh, Wyoming, uh, you're simply going to be too far away from any FM transmitter to really receive anything very easily. Whereas you may still get AM stations because of the density issue, right? Uh, because FM radio is line of sight and, and at best covers about a hundred mile radius. And that's probably at its very, at the very limits. Whereas AM could conceivably cover hundreds of miles. So AM is, AM stations are having trouble staying afloat, staying on the air profitably. Right. And, and one particular class of stations are stations that are uh, daytime only or have to power down at night. So, uh, and this is because of that, the fact that the signals travel further at night. Oh. So it, it, this goes back, you know, decades. There are stations that have to turn down their power at night, maybe go from like a kilowatt down to like a hundred watts or fewer so that you don't interfere with another station on the same frequency uh, that they don't interfere with during the day, but they might interfere the with the other side of the curvature of the earth. Yeah, yeah pretty much. Yeah. So, uh, like, uh, when I was living in Champaign, Urbana, Illinois, uh, the, the public radio news talk station owned by the University of Illinois is WLLAM on 580. 580 is kind of a local service frequency. So, there's a lot of stations on 580, 580 okay. AM, and they power down at night. So, during the day, they can be heard all the way up to like almost the south end of the Chicago suburbs, which is like a hundred miles away out to like Springfield, Illinois, which is like a hundred miles in another direction at night. They're heard basically in town. <laughs> so, wow. so, and that's right. And is, why is it that the dark allows for AM to travel farther? What is this? Nighttime. Because the sun doesn't interfere. Ah, it is because of the dark. It is because of the dark. Fascinating. Right. Say no more. <laughs> but I am not a radio engineer. And nor, I know we have nor some- Nor are we a radio engineer. I know podcast. we have some really um, smart, smart, smart so what is, folks who listen who what will correct me. What is the FCC doing with AM radio? So we what talked they're trying about to do, this with John right. Anderson. So they want to revitalize it. Many episodes back. Right. And so- these stations, but not only these stations that have to power down at night, have the op have had the opportunity now to get an FM translator. So an FM translator is a repeater station. They are low power. They run anywhere from like a few watts all the way up to 250 watts. And they can be squeezed onto the dial, right? They've always had spacing requirements that are fairly flexible, mm -hmm. except they're a secondary service. So if they get squeezed on the dial and a commercial, another station, full power station says, oh, no, you're interfering, the translator has to fix it. Okay. So that's the basic rules there. So now there's about a thousand of these translators across the country that have been authorized for an AM station so far. And what the FCC did yesterday was to modify the rules a little bit to make it easier for these AM stations to get these translator stations. Sure. To get to, to be on FM. To be on FM. And basically what the rules are about is where you can put that FM translator. So the idea is that this FM station is helping you to serve your community uh, especially perhaps at night when your signal may not be so strong or so easy to receive. So the idea is that if I have an AM station uh, in the center of Portland, Oregon, mm -hmm. um, I don't get an AM translator in Vancouver, Washington, right, which is like 15 miles to the north on the other side of the Columbia River. I would have to have that translator like in downtown Portland if that's where my AM station is. Now, I know we talked about this maybe over a year ago. Probably. And the I think John Anderson made the prediction that this is what was coming. 
So we know oh, well, we, we, right. it was already happening. Then. Yeah. yeah, this is already so happening. This is a non this is a bipartisan. Yes. So uh, this is a change. This is a change, but not an uncontroversial one. Right. What is happening. So what they changed is where you can put that FM translator, basically how far away it can be and how. Uh, and so before the ruling yesterday, you could take that FM translator and it could be uh, in either within it's uh, serving the same as your daytime service contour. Okay. Right? So you think about that if you were to like draw a circle, roughly a circle around a transmitter uh, and that's where it could be heard during the day. Sure. So it gives you the nighttime. Right. It gives it gives you nighttime. It back could be either in, in there a new, in a new region or a maximum of twenty five miles from your transmitter. Okay. So whichever whichever is smaller. And those so are the old rules. That's the old rules. As of yesterday, now as of the twenty third of February, now the they that twenty five mile rule is no longer is is now gone in a way. Is no longer a 25 mile limit. Now you can place that FM transmitter anywhere inside that daytime service area. Okay. Even if it happens to be more than 25 miles away. Okay. So they get, now they're, uh, they're bigger, stronger, better as far as an AM station owner is concerned. Right. Now this affects low power FM. Okay. Because low power FM and translators are very similar. They're both low, low-powered transmissions that are allowed to be spaced closer on the dial than a full-power radio station. What this means then hmm. is that these new AM translators m- under these new rules may be spaced closer to existing low-power FM stations. So some low-power FM stations might find uh, their broadcast area squeezed a little bit smaller. Squeezed a little bit. Now – it is still true, according to the rules, the translator cannot cause interference. So if they actually are causing interference, the low-power FM station has means to pursue action with the FCC. But if you're being squeezed in, what that may mean for the for the low-power FM station is they may not be able to move. Oh. Right? So just imagine it's a bit like a chessboard, right? And if you think about, you know, right. uh, your opponent's pawns sort of start to surround your pawn, you, you can no longer move, right? And that's what could happen because the way uh, stations move is that they have to sort of – All right. So if this is a chess game mm-hmm. and you were advising the low-power FM team about what move to make next based on these new rules – what do they do? I mean, if you if you anticipate that you would need to move the location of your transmitter, I would do so sooner rather than later. Hmm. So that, we know that this was bipartisan, that this was a plan mm-hmm. from the from way back. Uh, but I can't help but putting a bit of a political spin on it, and then you can walk me back because um, this is Trump's FCC, and mm, correct me if I'm wrong, but isn't AM commercial AM sort of uh, more more than a little bit, it's Rush Limbaugh's turf. I mean, that's that's probably pushing it a bit far mm-hmm. to say that's that explicitly. Um, Ajit Pai, the new chairman, AM revitalization has been his baby since he got on the commission, mm-hmm. and it it was it certainly got attention because uh, under uh, the Obama administration. So this first, the first move to give these translators to AM stations happened under right. the Obama FCC. And this is a minor change, all things considered. Um, so it's not a grand giveaway, but what it does do is it, is it gives, is it allows a few more AM stations to get these translators than might have been able to otherwise. Because, you know, you're always talking about where you can put these. It's not like you can just stick a transmitter anywhere, right? You have to have access to the property. It has to fit in with engineering. You know, it, it is not as simple as just stick it wherever. Um, and this sort of makes it a little easier. Um, my suspicion is, you know, I think that this effect on low power FM stations is unintended, yeah, if you will. It's an unintended consequence, um, uh, but nevertheless a consequence. But, and right now so- we have three commissioners. Right. Normally there's five. Huh. But right now we only have three, two, two Republicans and one Democrat under the Trump administration. If it's full, it will be three Republicans and two Democrats. So uh, so we so basically it was, I think, a, a moment for Pi uh, to 
to push through some of his uh, pet projects right now uh, because he doesn't have to horse trade very much. Yeah. Um, but as we mentioned, the it could have been a two to one and it would still pass, but it was a three zero. So Mignon Clyburn, the uh, who is the Democrat on the commission, she she voted for it. So she and she was around. Uh Last year. Oh well. yeah. She's okay. yes. Yeah. Yeah. So she's, she's a, she's been a, a friend, I think to low power FM. So she released her own statement on it, okay. which I, which I'll read uh, a portion of uh, quote, as we seek to modernize AM radio, we must not forget about low power FM stations and their unique role in serving local and or unrepresented groups. This report in order reiterates that, quote, any translator station relocating based on the amended rule must still protect any low-power FM stations under the contour protections outlined in the commission's existing rules. I will be watching closely to ensure our AM modernization efforts do not unintentionally undermine the phenomenal success story that is LPFM. So she's saying, you know, on notice, I want to make sure this doesn't really hurt. Now, Prometheus filed comments opposing this change, Prometheus Radio Project, which uh, is one of the organizations that's been active in creating the low power FM service and helping it to come to fruition. Um, And and they, they cited this fact that they believe it'll put pressure on low power FM stations that may need to move. You know, even if they may need to move because uh, the building they're in um, is being turned into condos and they need to go somewhere else. The building that the antenna is on. Yeah, the antenna is on, et cetera, right, that they need to move. It's been my experience lately that um, low-power FM stations are are located in many different places in the city. And the place where they have a broadcast studio is not necessarily the place where the antenna is. Well, that's true of all radio stations. Sure, sure, sure. But yeah. low-power FM stations, you know, often, especially uh, the ones that are, that are going on the air now, often, you know, they might be in provisional spaces. Yeah. They might, you know, they might have something that they were able to lock down three years ago and things have changed in that interim. So the need to change is 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 a real possibility. Um, and and this could, uh, this could cause um, them issues. Um and also, you know, Prometheus does worry because the rules are a little different for translators and for low power FM stations in terms of spacing. They could actually be spaced closer on the dial and and physically to they can be moved closer to a low power FM station than vice versa. <laughs> I know, right? It's sort of as if okay. as if the low power FM station has to obey a force field of three feet. But the translator only has to obey a force field of two feet. Sure. Or going back to your chess metaphor, if the low power FM station is a pawn, but the mm-hmm. the FM translator is is, is a knight, is a, yeah, is a right. knight or a rook. Exactly. It's got a little more room. Got a little move. bit more room. Although again, it's not supposed to cause any interference. So we'll have to see how this plays out. Interesting. Um, as, as we go along, but you know, it's something I think you know in terms of uh, low power FM stations, the advice would be you know uh, is to this this is not yet in effect, but it will be in effect as soon as it's published in the Federal Register. So it's probably somewhere in uh, 90 days or so. Okay. Um, is if you're making plans to move or you think you're going to need to move the site of your transmitter to begin that work now. Hmm. To make sure you, you're lining up that site and uh, doing the engineering you need uh, so that – because you'll be preeminent before someone else gets the chance to apply for that translator. So uh, they'll have to account for you if you're already moved. That would be the advice there. What, what did Ajit Pai do about – can I listen to the FM radio on my phone now? That- <laughs> yeah, he waved his magic FCC wand. Because I want to. I want, I want to leave this podcast studio and tune in my local FM radio stations well, on my phone. Well, 44% of the top-selling smartphones in the U.S. have activated FM chips. Those are all the androids, basically. They are all androids. Yeah. Yes, none in, or they could. I guess they could be a Windows phone or some other operating right, system. Right, right. But they are they the, are the non Apple. They are very phones. specifically not Apple phones. And but Apple phones have a deactivated FM chip inside of them. He shrugs. Uh, I don't he can't know. Answer. That's the rumor. But why aren't the bloggers? Why aren't well, they all over this one? Oh, they are. Uh, so <laughs> at the North, they Amer- love to take things apart. So about a week ago at the North American Broadcasters Association meeting, Chairman Pai made an impassioned speech advocating for those FM chips being turned on. Cool. He said That's like the cool that's like the nicest thing I've heard out of the Trump administration so far. <laughs> he said you could make a case for activating chips on public safety grounds yeah. alone, right? Oh my gosh, I got to like I'm going to rush out of the room and tell all my friends like don't worry. But 
he was not support a mandate. Oh. So he's basically just saying, hey, come on, guys. <laughs> <laughs> It'd be really cool if we could use the phones to listen to the FM he's radio. He's saying, come on, but he's not going to support a mandate. And a mandate could be difficult because of those wacky iOS phones. So here's the rub. Mm-hmm. One of the big news about the, I think was the iPhone seven, the most recent iPhone, right? Is that what does it not have? A headphone jack. Guess what your antenna is oh. for the FM radio. Your headphones hmm. are the, are the antenna. And this, this little fact has been true going back all the way, you know, to like the eighties. If you had like a little like Walkman, Radio or or like a cassette radio, a cassette Walkman with a radio sure. in it. If you didn't, of course, obviously, if you didn't plug your headphones in, you couldn't hear How it. How would you know? But, yeah. but it's functioned as the antenna. And that is true for the smartphone because an FM antenna really needs to be, you know, at least like a foot, two, three feet long mm-hmm. to be at all effective. And you can't jam that inside of a little tiny smartphone. Huh. Even with a fractal shape? I mean, I'm not, again, I'm not enough of an engineer just to know that, but, uh, generally speaking, I think you need to be at least get down to like somewhere like a quarter wave, which is in the neighborhood of like, like 30 inches. Um, again, you could do less, but I think, you know, you need more than that. Um, plus I think the nature of the smartphone, which is itself a radio, right? It's just a radio for high, much higher frequencies, uh, would be kind of hostile to an FM antenna, meaning sure. there's too much going on in there with the other frequencies. Someone else who's, you know, I'm, I'm obviously using technical terms, but if uh, somebody else wanted to correct me, you could email us at podcast at com. Yeah. So, so, so he made a speech and he said it would be nice. It would be nice, but it seems, you know, that that probably won't have too much effect. And that Apple in particular with its current plans uh, might not be able to fulfill it yeah. because they're giving up on the headphone jack. Huh. So, um, our friend Ernie Smith at Tedium, tedium.co, uh, last month in January, actually wrote an article about ah. how the uh, how your headphones are the FM antenna in your smartphones. Got a link to it. Yeah, in we will definitely notes. link to it. Ernie uh, Smith was a guest on the program. He was uh, a guest on the program a few months ago. Friend, friend of the show, friend of Radio Survivor. about a few months ago. I think time is uh, getting the best of us these days. I yeah. think it was at least 80 episodes ago. Okay. We'll see. Well, well, since we're on 83. Oh, who knows? I'm confused. <laughs> but uh, he wrote about it. And, and last night when I was thinking this through, I was like, well, I wonder, you know, because there's still a jack on the phone. And when you buy the when you buy an iPhone seven, you get this little converter. So it's a little converter that plugs into the lightning jack. Okay. And then you plug oh, in so your headphones into you, that. Can you FM antenna a lightning port? And he said, I don't know. I mean, he said maybe <laughs> plausible because I wonder because it's a data connection. I wonder if that wouldn't screw it up. Or like if you could even just have some sort of like ludicrous like sticker on the outside of the phone yeah. to attach the antenna to, right. which is like. From the case to the antenna, and that would make somehow, that would make Steve Jobs uh, turn over in his grave. <laughs> it's not beautiful design. That's for not sure. a beautiful design, but sure. But uh, it seems unlikely that the uh, that there's going to be a mandate for this. Fascinating. But uh, so everyone with uh, with a headphones jack may or may not may soon be able to listen to the FM radio on their phone. Well, but I mean, forty four percent of them can. Roughly. Okay. You know, um, cool. I, I've had, uh, not recently, but uh, years ago, I had a couple of smartphones and an FM radio. I loved it. I love the ability to just sort of be walking around and say, oh, oh, I could actually listen to the, to the radio and not use my data. Uh, you know, or even like if I yeah. was vacationing, There's I remember n- using it in Argentina. Wow. Like I didn't have it on the network. I just turned, you know, it was it, but I would use it on Wi-Fi and I was listening to FM radio. Yeah. There are a few things that make me feel goofier than using the internet to listen to a local radio station because I don't have a radio conveniently And of course, the National Association of Broadcasters applauded uh, Commissioner Pye's, uh, Chairman Pye's statement. But but it's all probably just tilting at windmills. (laughs) So you, um, should we take a deep breath? You uh, produce another podcast, (laughs) a good one. That comes up every so often. Yeah, Yeah. called- uh, The Wolf Den. The Wolf Den, and- uh, you guys on that podcast uh, cover the business of podcasting and the people of podcasting and the people who who help make podcasts. Yeah, possible. you had a guest recently that yes, a show some that just uh, went brain. live uh, with Julie Shapiro, 
who is the executive producer of Radiotopia, which is the uh, podcast network run by PRX. Yeah, ninety nine percent divisible is their their flagship yep. program, I would say, and then there's a whole bunch of great stuff, a whole bunch of shows there. Um, you know, and I mean, Julie's uh, had a great career in audio. She co-founded the Third Coast Audio Festival okay. at uh, in Chicago, originally an outgrowth of uh, Chicago Public Radio. Uh, and she did that in 2000, so 17 years ago. Uh, she's been part of like helping to, uh, I think, support and and foment the creation of interesting storytelling audio way before podcasting existed, way before uh, we had the podcasting renaissance. Yeah. Uh, so she's got great insights. Um, and even in the interim between the Third Coast Radio Festival and working at PRX, she spent a few years in Australia working for the Australian Broadcasting Corporation, helping them to start kind of a creative audio division and launch a couple of podcasts. So she has some great insights. But the thing I was very interested in hearing uh, from her um, had to do with this curation aspect of PRX. Because PRX, they, they, they say that they're a uh, an indie label kind of for podcasts. So what they do is they they bring on board independent podcasts. Well, you said PRX, but PR, anyone can oh, PRX, be on PRX. Right. So I mean Radiotopia. Radiotopia is Radiotopia. its own is little their website own little network, moment. Yeah, their own network. And what these shows, they retain the ownership on their show. Mm-hmm. But what Radiotopia helps them do is uh, helps them with production, might, helps them, might also help them a little bit with- Yeah, with, I noticed when their contest was posted- that uh, they were looking for creative people with great ideas that didn't necessarily have microphones. You didn't have to yeah, be and, a and radio it, well, producer and that to was, apply. And that was a new thing, right? Yeah. So, so on the one that was hand, last year, yeah. On the one hand, they bring on shows that are pre-existing that demonstrate, uh, you know, that they could use help to grow, but have like the great seeds, have really good bones, if you will. Yeah. Um, and they help them with money. They help them with uh, distribution. They help them in a number of different ways. And then last year, right, they ran this contest called the PodQuest. And this is an idea looking for people who didn't necessarily have a podcast. Uh, and then Radiotopia would help them to start their podcast. But mm-hmm. And they had 1,537 entries yeah. for this one spot. So, and, and the one that won is, sounds great. It's actually uh, two uh, incarcerated men at San Quentin Prison working with an ex- a producer who's on the outside, mm-hmm. uh, one of whom is actually like a sound producer like and, and, and using the media lab that's at San Quentin Prison oh, okay. to kind of like bring these stories of prison life to the outside. So it sounds like a great idea and, and, and it's going to launch, I think, in June. Um, but I was like with 1,537 – of these entries, how do you decide on one? Like that's a lot. And what was interesting to hear Julie reflect on is that, you know, on the, is that, I mean, a lot of them just aren't right. And probably a lot of these entries aren't good. And the things that she brought up that, uh, <laughs> were the same things I think about in podcasting. I think you and I have talked about, it, and that's why I, I thought it was okay. interesting. Yeah. Interesting. Is that a whole lot of the proposals just weren't original. Like you could like you look you read it and you could see well I know about twelve other shows me and my friends are going to talk about movies right when there's that too right and in and you know Radiotopia really focuses more on storytelling than on conversation yeah um but you know and then and, and people also had ideas where you know it's sort of a mashup like it's like ninety nine percent invisible meets there be monsters right which they said that didn't really pique our interest either or they were just simply inspecific. It's just sort of like, well, I'd like to explore something mm-hmm. rather than this is what the show will be. And my heart is breaking over and over I again know, about right? these things because I feel rejected by Radiotopia personally. <laughs> well, I mean, I don't think I'm a Radiotopia producer. I mean, I'm just going to be completely frank. Uh, I don't think it's it's my style of podcasting. It sounds interesting. I think they do great work, but I, I just kind of self-select my – I know it's probably not where they I They do a little be. bit of radio theater, and, that, and that's where I feel like um, – Depends yeah. on the depends on the show. It depends on yeah. the show. There's a lot of different approaches. I like I like that radio theater that that old timey radio theater stuff. Is, I'm but, glad you they're know, keeping it going. They, it's interesting though that they see, they see these same recurring things, right? And and one of the questions that 
um, the host Lex and Chris asked uh, Julie was, well, do you think there's still room, right? Like at this moment, it seems like podcasting is getting very, very crowded. And all these, you know, relatively more established media entities are jumping in with their own podcasts. And her thought was, yes, I think there's plenty of room when for niche, right? Mm-hmm. If you know the audience that there's something very specific you want to do, there's lots of room. Yes, it's getting very competitive at the top of the charts. It's getting very competitive if you want to have something like This American Life. And it's not to mean that you can't, but that, that of course, is where it's going to be competitive. But there's lots of opportunity for people who maybe want to do something a little bit more uh, constrained or, you know, where they're not trying to, like, conquer the charts. And I also happen to agree with that because it's interesting. Uh, uh, about a week before uh, this podcast dropped, I actually had an interview uh, where I talk with um, – uh, these folks who at Texas A&M University who mm-hmm. have this project called the Download on Podcasting, where they're trying to do research and release white papers about podcasting. Mm-hmm. And they wanted to talk about specifically like what podcasters can do to grow their show. That's the, that's the million-dollar question. It's the million-dollar question. I'm tired of that question. <laughs> sure. But I mean, you know, I think – it is a great question. Sure, and sure. I mean, it's just the same as what can a self-published author do to to find. And that's the know, perspective. It's how like does starting a web, a, how does a website get a bigger audience? Exactly, exactly. And My Instagram was, account only has a hundred followers. How do I how do I grow it? Well, and and I kept you know, and the thing that I always go back to is what is your goal? Why are you doing this? And it doesn't mean you have a singular goal. Rich and, and famous, always the same to to make a living off of my passion. Right, and those are two different things, though. No, uh, I'll I'll combine them. I'll over uh, my Venn diagram is <laughs> because if rich and famous, I I have no advice. I can't tell you. I I mean, I'm not rich and famous. I feel like that. That's most people's goal, right? I don't know. I think it's changing. I think it's changing. I think that there. I think that there's a lot of folks who figured out that they can accomplish a lot of things with podcasting without having to set their sights on being Ira Glass. Mm-hmm. But there is that second part, right? So rather than rich and famous, the I would like to make my living at my passion. And it kind of the answer is, well, what's your passion? What is it you're going to share? Because if you say, well, I would like to make a living with my passion as a, as a filmmaker. And the question is, well, do you have a script that you've written? Or would you be happy being a director of photography? Or would you be happy being a set designer? Or would you be happy being a script supervisor? Right. There's all these roles in sort of the film industry that if you are happy or it fulfills your passion to do that, you can make your living and fulfill your passion in filmmaking. You just may not be a director, screenwriter, or actor, right? You may not be uh, one of the most, you know, well-known personalities in, in filmmaking, and I think in podcasting, there's that other question. Do you want to be a podcaster because you love podcasting? Well, there may be opportunities if you're not so sensitive at a level about what you're working on, right? Are you working for other people? Are you working on shows that are not of your own creation? Or are you working on a show of your own creation and that's your baby? Again, it's sort of the same thing as like a self-published author or an indie filmmaker, right? Is that those are some of the some of the different uh, questions I think someone has to think through. Why are they doing this? Because that kind of fills in what is your objective and what do you want to do? Because as it is with 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 writing a novel, as it is with making a podcast, that which is popular and makes a lot of money is not necessarily the thing that you want to do. <laughs> and so figuring out what purposes this podcast serve and how it can serve those purposes is I think the first thing people need to figure out because then the method you use to grow it is going to change. Mm-hmm. So if what you, if your podcast and many people do podcasts that are sort of part of a larger project, right? They may be part of a, a website they run. It might be part of a business that they run. Yeah. It might be in service of a nonprofit that they run. I was and, thinking about um, Tim Ferriss as an example, but like a better example than Ira Glass. I think a lot of people, a lot of people that I'm coming across in my in my uh, and here's nascent the thing. freelance career want to well, be first, Tim Ferriss. The way you have to be Tim Ferriss as a podcaster is first you have to be Tim Ferriss. Right. Tim Ferriss is not – His brand was fa- outside of the podcast. Yeah. Yeah. Right. You know, like Anthony, uh, Anthony Robbins, Tony Robbins. Yeah, he's, he's up there too Big now. influential, uh, you know – You can't see people walk self- on coals on a podcast. Right. I don't get it. Right. Well, I don't know. I've been I'm listening to it. just kidding. Uh, you know, there's a big – I keep seeing his – 
big mug up. There's a billboard right near my house because he's coming to Portland, I guess. Uh, you know, so I keep seeing his his mug, right? But mm-hmm. you know, yeah. Uh, but people knew about him uh, mm-hmm. before, you know. And, and you talk about Ira Glass. Well, there was a syndicated radio show that was relatively successful way before it was ever turned into a podcast mm-hmm. on radio. Uh, you know, I think a better, you know, so if you want to talk about other examples, you have to talk about people who've made their name through podcasting. And it's actually a smaller number <laughs> when you really think about it in a yeah. lot of ways. You know, you got your Mark Marin, basically. Well, I don't count Mark Marin because Mark Marin had TV shows and was a touring oh, comedian. Yeah. So he went into podcasting with an audience. He didn't go into podcasting with necessarily the size of audience he currently has, but he was on air America, you know, he went in with probably a core thousands of people who had heard of him and might've been interested in hearing. He had 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 a successful brand before podcasting or yeah, or at least some, some, you know, uh, aware people were aware that he existed, you know, so starting from scratch, you know, there's fewer and fewer examples and they exist, but uh, you know, but there's a lot of folks I think with successful podcasts you haven't heard about because they're successful on their own terms. They accomplish what it is they want them to do. And you can, I think you can certainly make a living at a podcast without it appearing on the iTunes charts. You, or it can achieve other goals without the average person having heard of it. In the same way that, you know, there are musicians you've never heard of who make a living, who make a living touring, make right. a living selling their music. And they're not make you know, they may be making a lower middle class living, right? So, we, you know, we can decide what, what standard of living. They might have been doing have better get. 20 years ago with the same exact career. Right, exactly. I mean, That's there's all sorts of things. Now we're in the music weeds. Yeah, you know, or, or you know, or maybe think, or maybe they doing exactly the same because certain things tipped in their favor and other things tipped out of their favor, right? Um, if they never were on a major label, they might not be doing <laughs> not as well as they were before. But, uh, you know, it's figuring out what that objective is because then that entertains what you do and, 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 and where you're going, how you're going to try and grow. Because if you don't know what you want to do and what you want to accomplish, and you certainly don't know who your audience is. And if you don't know where your audience is and you can't find them, and if you can't find them, they certainly won't find you. Yeah. And that's, that's the big question. And it's time and time again, podcasting is opt in. You don't stumble on podcasts for the most part. Maybe someone recommends one to you, maybe, you know, on social media or, you know, person to person. Um, maybe there is a, website or another publication you're really into and then you find out they have a podcast but it's it's probably not so likely you stumble upon too many podcasts uh and and, and i try to like i this is an interesting thing i try to and i often have difficulty stumbling on podcasts and i've talked about how i'm surprised there are podcasts on certain topics that d- simply don't appear to exist and i mm-hmm. keep trying to find them so, you know, to that extent, it shows me there's a lot of opportunity. If I can't find podcasts about things, I would really love to listen to a podcast about. And where I know there's probably people who would want to at least at the very least spend money to be an advertiser on them, then there has to be opportunities. There are obviously opportunities I'm not pursuing because, hmm. you know, I have a day job. Uh, and they may not be Mark Marin size opportunities, but they may be, you know, decent, uh, you know, bucks every month or every week sort of opportunities. So, you know, and, 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 and basically, you know, Julie said something, you know, more or less of a sort that I've been, that I've been telling people, she's like, do your research, (laughs) right? Especially with regard to, she gets these not original ideas. Yeah. That at the very least you can do. So you've got a great idea for a podcast, but if somebody else is already doing it and maybe doing it better than you, or at least doing it and you're not, I mean, now, you know, you know, do you, do you think you can do it better or do you have to do it differently? Mm-hmm. Right. And that's so many people don't, don't do that. They just simply don't go to Stitcher and iTunes and do a search on keywords and say, Hey, is there a podcast about this? Does it even exist? And, or is there something, you know, about what I can do that is different? Right. Because I do think at this moment in time, getting into podcasting to become rich and famous or, or just rich is probably not the best business plan. But if there is something about which you are really passionate about or you're really good at or you're working with people who are passionate and really good at something and you have something to share that way, I think you've got a shot. Mm -hmm. But otherwise, you just want to get rich. I don't know, sell Amway. (laughs) 
<laughs> I don't know if that's a good one either. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm kidding. Of Go course. to dentist school. Yeah, right. I mean, follow that 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 line. Real but estate. It, that's the right. Yeah, answer. real estate. Exactly. Real estate. Plastics. Um, but otherwise, you know, if you know, and I said, I think there are opportunities, but I think you'd better care a lot. Right. And it's just sort of like an entrepreneurial story, mm-hmm. but you know, not everyone needs, not everyone wants or needs to be a millionaire. I don't think that this is what podcast, what our show is about. And, and I think of things like, um, you know, uh, the community podcasting effort on Bainbridge Island right. is a sustainable operation. Now, I, I don't know that there's a lot of salaries being drawn, but the organization itself is sustainable. And, you know, in the, in the, for, in the way that a community radio station is Matter a whole lot to a small community of people is a lot better of a plan moving forward than, yeah. than, 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 than to try to be important to a huge amount of people. That's hard. Because you're, it's always – you never get to 10,000 listeners without one listener. You never get to 10 listeners without two listeners. It is really one at a time. And there are, sure, there are, you know, things with broad appeal can catch like wildfire. Absolutely. But more often than not, it is step by step. And I, and and that's the thing I I have to, and the thing is, there's this, I think this perception amongst many people get into podcasting that there's that, you know, within three months you're killing it. And, and that's because, you know, the evidence you go on is the evidence you see. And then you're like, oh, there's these new shows in iTunes. And all of a sudden they seem to be dominating, mm-hmm. you know, except you didn't pay attention to the to the ones that were new and noteworthy and you never saw again, right? It's a it's sort of a availability bias, availability heuristic there. And it's like, no, actually it takes a while to build an audience. And it really is listener by listener, one at a time, one at a time. And, you know, being – and I think the way you put it is is so – smart mm-hmm. the be really important to a small number of people because i think that that's if you look at your mark marion's or a comedy bang bang they actually started out as being very important to a small number of people it, that small number of people was in maybe the the hundreds and thousands not hundreds of thousands but hundreds and thousands to start with mm-hmm. as opposed to tens three and four figures right but nevertheless that was key because then those are people who you hope will work on your behalf a little bit, spread the word. Um, you know, you're doing something that they find really important. They're likely to share it. If you're making waves on Bainbridge Island, then people are likely to know about you. If you're making waves in your community, people are likely to know about you. Um, if that's your objective and, but that community can be your, your physical community, your local, you know, your, your geographic community, but it can be the community of people who are, uh, really into, you know, uh, a particular type of literature. It could be people who are really into sports of a certain type. Well, I'm a big fan of Radiotopia and the work that they do. So I'm going to check out that episode yeah. of The I mean, Wolf I'm elaborating Den. on the things she said, obviously. Yeah. But um, well, I, have, I have questions for her that I think I'll hold on to. I won't ask them. I won't ask you if she talked about them. I'll just I'll just take a listen and see yeah, how it goes. You can, and then you can tweet her. Yeah. My, my main concern for them is... Um, Is it, is it, are they doing okay? Can, can they keep making podcasts? How, how do they even make podcasts and, uh, get paid for it? Is everyone, you know, are they, are they growing audiences for each other the way, you know, I'm thinking, I think that's the intent. I'm thinking back to, uh, Julie Sabatier's Mm -hmm. interview way back on, uh, early episode Radio Survivor. And, uh, it was clear that, um, in the case of that tiny podcasting network that she was a part of, that it didn't it didn't really move her numbers very far. So I'm I'm wondering if if the non ninety nine percent invisible audience is seeing anybody from ninety nine percent invisible coming over to them on yeah, Radio Topia. And, and we didn't ask that question. And I um Which is fair. That might be the meanest question to ask somebody like Julie Shapiro. Well I, you know, by my observation is that it seems that their podcasters are, are relatively happy. That's a thing. Yeah, that's worth something. Uh, and I do think that Radiotopia itself is a brand that that does uh, 
is like a stamp of approval. Yeah, every time you say the cross, words Radiotopia, yeah. I hear the the um, the jingle in my head, yeah. and a little a little uh, light of pleasure lights up, and I think I'd like to listen to that. And, show and they, right they now. cross promote, and and you yeah. know their selectivity is part of that, right? I mean, curation as it is some, some curation, say. right? And you know, right? And of course, the problem is when you curate like that, you can't help everybody. You can only help a few, um, right? I think that they're. It is my observation, again, I don't know this, that they have been thoughtful about their growth. So not growing beyond their ability to help and to really do what it is they want to do. Um, and I think that's sort of important because if you, you know, if you were trying to do that and you take on too many shows and it sort of dilutes the resources and you're not able to do it, well, then, you know, then that you may be inadvertently undermining your own mission. And that's sort of any organization I think that grows too quickly um, has to has to worry about that. But uh, anyway, um, yeah, I definitely recommend people listen to it. Uh, we'll put that in the show notes. It is the Wolf Den, so uh, if you just search for that, if you go to earwolf.com, it's pretty easy to find. But we'll put it in the show notes, radiosurvivor.com uh, slash podcast. We'd love to know what you think about any of the things we're talking about today. Drop us an email, podcast at radiosurvivor.com. Even better, record a little commentary. We had Ernesto Aguilar's commentary on a couple of weeks ago. Uh, we'd love to hear from you that way. Just do it on your smartphone, do it on your computer real quick, and uh, send us the MP3 or AAC file or whatever, however you can get it to us, uh, podcast at radiosurvivor.com. So the provocative question I had, mm-hmm. this is regarding podcasting, is so one of the for me, one of the joys of college and community radio in particular is the crazy stuff that goes on late at night. Yeah. Right. It's the shows that are kind of unhinged. So not merely they just play weird music, but may even play lots of things together and create soundscapes or integrate uh, spoken word and, and sort of, you know, interesting and challenging, but often still like pleasing ways. So not necessarily only walls of noise, although I like that too. Where is that podcast? I tweeted this out uh, earlier today. So if you have that answer, you can tweet me back at media geek. Where is that avant-garde podcast? Mm -hmm. Where are they? Like, I really wonder. And so and I, I, so I, I asked that question and I asked it to Google and I came up with an article from the Tambor, which doesn't exist any longer, which was a really good web publication about podcasting that tried to be more than just reviews of podcasting, thinking about, you know, it artistically, aesthetically and from the business side. And there was an article that said noise casting, searching for podcasting's bleeding edge, hmm. posing basically that question. And uh, I'm pulling it up now so I can tell you the the smart person who wrote this. Um, it's a per, it's, oh Josh Richmond. <laughs> I should have even looked at that because uh, I say that yes, he works at Earwolf. I should have noticed. Ah. That. I, I should have him on the show now. I didn't realize he would have been writing How great. for them. Um. Anyway. Uh. Yes, he is a producer for um, for Midroll. Does great work. Great guy, Josh. Um. You know, and and he did a good job, I think, of sort of untangling, you know, how there are podcasts that maybe play with the form a little bit, but sort of fail, not fail, but aren't really avant-garde because they still sort of have a format and they're still sort of recognizable. And I liked, uh, I think he compared, say, like, Welcome to Night Vale as basically sort of like a Prairie Home Companion, right? A Prairie Home Companion, part of it is is Garrison Keillor's uh, or when he hosted it was Garrison Keillor's uh, monologues telling stories about this fictional uh, town where all the children are above average, right? In mm-hmm. a sort of radio play-ish, but more of a monologue. And that's kind of what Night Vale is, even if it's subject matter is more, um, uh, you know, science fiction-y and a little bit more mysterious and such. It's still basically in that format. Um, and I don't know. Like, I... I, I dug around and, and and I think it's hard to find because at that level you don't even know what you're looking for. It might be more of like a SoundCloud type or MixCloud, yeah. Or even a YouTube. You know, podcasting might not be the place to go for 
It's for, true for you, that bleeding edginess. Yeah, and I think I think you make a strong point. Although I would love to be able to subscribe to it and just have it show up. Sure, sure, sure. And maybe there's like a possibility is that there's probably a community or college radio station yeah. that creates like automatic podcast yeah. Well, yeah. feeds. You do realize shows. there is a podcast feed for like over shows the edge. I'm like, right, right. That I, yeah. Yeah. So although those are, although I, I kind of want to draw this line in the sand that says, well, those are radio shows yeah. that are distributed by podcasts. Is there somebody making that podcast? And, and, and again, uh, maybe yes, because I don't actually know what i'm looking for it's hard to find how do you what get is, to that what's end? the search term even right thing and how do you i mean how would you find it on the radio well you just one day tuned turned it on yeah. and eventually i know about over the edge having never lived in berkeley because negative land is preeminent mm-hmm. is known to me you know and and i know about things on say wfmu because i used to live in new jersey and i followed wfmu for 20 plus years um so I don't even know how I would find out about it, but I hope that it exists. So I, I want to hear from listeners. What are, you know, what's a podcast, not a radio show that gets broadcast as a podcast that pushes all the boundaries and maybe is even sort of unlistable, but not unlistable because it's incompetent because <laughs> it's like three idiots in their basement, um, you know, who get too drunk and can't operate the recorder. But uh, what is, you know, sort of at least to some extent self-consciously uh, trying to trying to screw with the uh, with the formats and the standards and maybe doesn't care so much about building an audience so much as it's expression of art. Maybe I'm asking too much of it all. I don't know. But it's just a provocative question that, that came to me when I uh, couldn't sleep last night hmm. and was spending too much time on the Internet, as one does these days, which then makes it difficult to sleep because of all that blue light. Stimulating our brains. I, I spent four days away from the internet, and I'm I have a, um I have a plan to do it again on purpose. I you know I was out I was out in a part of the world without a lot of cell reception, and that was nice. But uh, it seemed like a worthwhile thing to do sometimes. Uh, yeah, you just to be stuck with one album, have to actually listen to that album again. Um, yeah, that's it's like it's like reliving the nineties. <laughs> Well, I mean, the dream of the 90s here in Portland. The dream of the 90s is to to only read that magazine that you just bought. Yeah. And then finish it. Well, Eric, thanks for rallying. You're getting over just being sick. So uh, you definitely rallied to come. Thanks for not telling people at the beginning. So only the loyal listeners now know. The loyal listeners uh, know. My energy was flagging because of. yeah, because of those four days. Yeah, I didn't in want the to woods. taint their experience. <laughs> I didn't want to taint their experience of the show. I want them to enjoy it a full stop. Uh, thank you, Paul. Thank you, everybody. Thank you, everybody, for listening. We really appreciate it.